Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the Internet's Most Explosive Comic Book and Pop Culture Podcast, and we are your hosts thanking you for, once again, inviting us into your homes. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? 
Chris, I'm okay, if not a bit tired. How are you this week? I would say the exact same. But okay, (laughs) and a bit tired. We don't even need to say it anymore. It's just, that's where we're at. I I think I told you that, like, I, I think it was maybe sailor business that I would, like, someone contacted me and they were like, or maybe it was Jordan D. White, my uh, former co-host on Sailor Business. I did not realize that I answered tired to every time I was asked how I was on that show. And I think that was pre-diagnosis. And it could have <laughs> been a good sign. That maybe I had the depression. You know one thing that we are going to push through our tired feelings about is our great interview on the show this week. Because our guest is Robert Newsom, the editor of the Atomic Elbow Wrestling Zine. And you know we're going to talk about some old wrestling on the show, as well as numerous other topics, uh, like muted Twitter terms. Uh, And it's going to be a very fun time. It is. Very fun interview with one of my favorite people that I've ever met through comics, honestly. Uh, Love Robert Newsom, love the Atomic Elbow, cannot wait to talk to him about it. But Chris, before we talk to Robert, we do have business to take care of here at the top of the show. That first order of business is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who are are currently battling it out to find out whether Gimmick Street shall live or Gimmick Street shall die. And the best way to do that is to go all the way down Gimmick Street to patreon.com slash Ajax where you can kick in as little as a dollar to uh, help me and Matt put those gimmicks that keeps in the milk all bills. And here are the names of our newest Patreon supporters. None. Nobody. We don't have any new names to read. What? And Hang on. Wasn't it Wake Up, Wake Up is the first of the month? We got some that I read out on our last episode mm. that, that uh, kicked in at Wake Up, Wake Up, Wake Up, the first of the month. But here in Wake Up, Wake Up, Wake Up, the second episode of the month, I have no new names to add. Uh, we are currently at 413 patrons. Are you telling me Are you telling me that going in-depth on the first 11 issues of 1994's Fate is not doing numbers and bringing eyes well, that, onto, that the, episode- onto the product, Matt? That episode was posted on the day we're recording this episode. So maybe it will. Maybe Jared Stevens will bring the eyeballs and the attention. But uh, not as of yet. We're we're seven away from the funny weed number. So you gotta help us get to that funny weed number. You you at least gotta help us get to the funny weed number. It's about to be legal here. It's actually being discussed for decriminalization here in North Carolina as well. That's exciting. Anyway, 
go to Patreon and help us out. As a patron, you get every single episode of every single show that we do. That means this show that we do every week, every story ever, Comics Catch-Up, which is the show where we talked about the first 11 issues of Fate, Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, all of those shows are not only made possible by your support on Patreon, but you get all of those shows ad-free on a special feed only patrons get. So, doesn't that sound like something you would want? I think it should. You can also get other cool stuff on the, over on the Patreon. You can get bonus content, which includes bonus audio, outtakes from the show, writing that Chris and I do, uh, Various bonus things that only are on Patreon. Totally Patreon-exclusive. You can also get line-stepping privileges for Every Story Ever, Thursday Night Raw, and the other segments that we do on the show where listeners participate. You can get physical rewards, t-shirts at that level, other physical rewards. Uh, There's lots of cool stuff over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ajax. So go kick in a buck or two over there if you can, if you are unable to help us out on Patreon. Uh, you can help us out in other ways. You can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Five stars would help us out a whole bunch. Or... You can just spread the word about the show. Tell your friends. Let folks know about a podcast that you like, War Rocket Ajax, and how they should listen to it, too. With that, Chris, now that we have thanked our Patreon supporters, it's time for some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what do you have to check in with this week? Matt, I am so excited. I've got a weekend planned, buddy. Because uh, we are we are currently, you in the future, you're living in a different world than we are. Mm. Matt and I are living in, in a past, a, a grim and terrible time, when The Legend of Zelda The Tears of the Kingdom has not been released yet, and will be in a scant few hours. But I got that coming. AC's going out of town. You mailed me some Bojangles hard iced tea. Which I believe is a crime. (laughs) Yes, has it arrived? It has not arrived yet. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm hoping it shows up here and the the G-Man doesn't show up at your house. I've been looking out the window waiting on the mail mail police, the mail cops. To put me in mail jail. I told AC last night, I was like, hey, Matt uh, sent me through the mail some Bojangles hard iced tea. We think it, that is illegal. And she was like, that is definitely, you are not supposed to do that. And I was like, okay, but either it shows up and it's fine, or Matt gets arrested for bootlegging, which is the best thing, and also the most Shelby, North Carolina thing <laughs> that could happen to you. So it's a win-win either way. Sure, sure. I mean, I think the most likely outcome is, uh, well, other than it getting to you, is they like heard it sloshing around in the can and just 
tossed it, but uh, we shall see. We shall see. I think it would have to get there by tomorrow. So if this month's snack situation ends up being those mustard Doritos, you know what happened. Uh, what happened is that's not happening. <laughs> so I'll, I mean, I'll put booze in tea and just drink that. I still have three cans of Bojangles hard iced tea in my fridge right now. So yeah, I'll, is- I'll, I'll make a sloppy Palmer. <laughs> Actually, I think the name for that is a Leland Palmer, which is very good. It's a very good uh, name. That is, that is funny. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about to be lit uh, here at uh, Chris and Biscuits. It's gonna be it's gonna be bad bad decisions of the Legend of Zelda all weekend, and I'm very excited about it. That that is a hell of a weekend that you have in store, Matt. Uh, what are you up to this week? Well, Chris, I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm a little tired, and this isn't just like standard tired. This is actually like really tired. I am on what is essentially my 13th straight day of work, I think. I did not get a weekend last weekend because of the fucking monarchy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what's weird is like I didn't even I didn't even think about it. I'm happy for you. I you can tell there's some tension in your voice right now, but I'm I'm sorry. I had to get up and sit at my computer all day and work on stuff about members of this family that have nothing to do with me. I live in America. I don't need them. I do not recognize any monarch or king. And yet... I had to work that day, and then essentially, I'm covering for my boss at work, and so um, I it's been a hectic couple of weeks, and you know that's what happens. I I have taken on an extra role of responsibility uh, that I don't normally do, um, but for whatever reason. As a result of working really hard, instead of doing what I normally do during my time after work hours, instead, when I'm this tired and this like exhausted from work, what I do is put on old girl talk albums and listen to them. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been spinning uh, uh, Night Ripper and Feed the Animals. Uh, this week as well. It's like for we. This is not a thing we've discussed. I've just like wanted some some background noise that wasn't a video while I worked, and those are those are good, fast paced. Honestly, it's what it sounds like to have ADHD. But I mean, yes, I stuff. I remember listening to those albums again. Really reminds me of like certain moments of transcendence that. They're almost indescribable, like a transition into like in Night Ripper, the the part where it transitions into Purple Ribbon All Stars Kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is what is that mashed up with? I forget. 
oh, best of my love is what it's mashed up with. It's so good when that happens. I was going to say, what, like, the one that I always think of is, uh, hold up, wait a minute, uh, yes. into uh, Say It Ain't So. Yes, that is also really good. There's also the part where it's throw some D's mashed up with uh, like an Aphex Twin song that sounds like a classical song. That is on. That's on Feed the Animals. Uh, like it's all pretty good, but the real selling point of Girl Talk for me is. Um, those like very specific moments of transcendence where it's just like, this is some of the most amazing, like riding the crest of a wave musical moments I've ever heard. You know? I mean, I know what happened is that we all kind of moved over to streaming services. Yeah. But like what happened to like, they like to the golden age of the mashup. It's a good question. It's a good question. I, 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 I do know this, and I actually discovered this as I was going back and listening to this, these old Girl Talk albums. There is new Girl Talk music. Like Greg Gillis, the artist known as Girl Talk, put out an album in 2022 i think is is when it came out yeah 2022 called full court press but he actually collaborated with like rappers on it like wiz khalifa and big crit that's not what i want i know i know but i i haven't listened to it yet i am gonna listen to it and see how it sounds Maybe they're all over on SoundCloud now. Probably, yeah. I mean, anybody doing that kind of thing is probably on SoundCloud. But nonetheless, that that's what I've been up to. Uh, working really hard, then vegging out and listening to Girl Talk. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, time to make some recommendations. Chris, what do you have to recommend? Matt, as previously stated, we are in a grim and cheerless time. Uh... Well, we are in a time before I find out if I need to go take a walk down to the 600 block of Gimmick Street, if you know what I mean. The bridge is? Yeah, because if, if Tears of the Kingdom is not as good as Breath of the Wild, it's... I'm, what's the reason? What, what, what do I have to keep going for? But, in the meantime, while I wait for that, I have been playing another game that I, I'm curious to know if you have played it. I know that some of our friends uh, liked it uh, quite a bit, and that is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yay. According to the logo. There's a uh, big EA logo on there. I have not played it. I haven't played any games in quite a while, and I'm definitely not playing a Star Wars game, even if it's good. Why not? I don't. I don't know. I just have a thing. <laughs> I'm not. I. I don't want to play a Star Wars game. I mean, I. I get that. Like, I, you know, I was. I was a famous Star Wars hater for quite some time. But the reason I wanted to know if you had played it is one of its tags on Steam is 
Souls-like. And that's not really accurate. It's accurate in that there's a lot of, like, you you got to do some dodge rolling, and when you go to, like, a little save point, all the enemies respawn, and also you have a little, like, you know, like, a little health recovery thing that's limited. Now, wait, are you are you playing Fallen Order, which was the first game? I'm or? playing Fallen Order, because okay. even even now I don't really buy new games that are not made by my friend, the Nintendo Corporation. The right. only corporation that can be your friend. <laughs> Cops aren't your friends? Nintendo is. Uh, yeah, okay. The new one is Jedi, Jedi Survivor, and I could I didn't remember which was which. Yeah. But it's not like... It's not like difficult, like a Souls game is difficult. Like I like to me that feels like the defining feature of a Souls game. That it has that like harsh difficulty curve. And maybe that's because you just don't fuck like you have a fucking lightsaber in this game. <laughs> like you have a laser sword. Do you dodge roll? You do dodge roll. Then it's a souls like. Okay. Alright. I mean that's you know, yeah, I get it. That's the I'm not saying the influence isn't there. I'm just saying I I don't think the games are in conversation with each other. Like, we did not call Sonic a Mario-like, you know? They're both fundamentally games about running left to right and jumping with water levels that everyone hates. <laughs> you know? Fair. Uh, but anyway, this game is pretty fun. It's It's pretty... <sighs> like what I have played of the of the Souls genre, it also has your your Metroidvania elements. Yeah. But in a way that's like there will be there's a tends to be a very linear path through a level that you take that then loops back on itself and you come back to that area later for additional things. So it does have that kind of mastery of the environment and you do like learn new force abilities to unlock paths, which is kind of cool. Like it, it seems like there's there's never been anything surprising in any of these, but it is like thoughtful that like, oh, there is like, you know, there's a little door there that I can come back to. But I feel like that's just how 2010s, 2020s level design works, right? But it is very fun. I do want to say two things about this game. One, there does not seem to be any morality system in this game, which is great because as much as I like the sort of Bioware you know, Knights of the Old Republic through to Mass Effect through to Dragon Age. If you do bad things, you will get, you know, you will, will be on the dark side uh, of the Force, which also, you know, I have memories of playing the Star Wars tabletop RPG and, and that always being a big deal of like, you know, oh, you can't, you really can't just go around and fuck shit up like you can in D&D uh, unless you really want to want to embrace the dark side. That's not really a factor in this, which is good, because when you get the ability to just push dudes off ledges to their deaths, that's all you're going to do. Because it's very Star Wars in that there's just fucking bottomless pits everywhere with no rails, and it's a whole lot easier to solve your problems when you can just point at them and they go away. And it's full murder. (laughs) That is all there is to that. Uh, the second thing is, uh, what this game does, that I think the best Star Wars adjacent uh, things do, is it gives you a little buddy. You get a little buddy, 
and his name's BD1. And he's a tiny little droid that look that has like Wally's head, but he's got like little chicken legs. Uh, that rides around on your back, and you talk to him, and he like helps you out, and he's the like he's the thing that gives you the healing when you uh, do, he's your little Estes Flask buddy. Minute minutes after him being part of the game, I would kill or die for this creature, this this droid, this this clock radio that beeps at me when I talk to it. There's a button you can press to talk to it, just like when you're not doing anything. And sometimes you reach up and, and pet it, and like kind of scratch its ears. Matt, it is a top-notch little buddy. And you know I love a game with a little buddy. We should do some bonus content and talk about our the best little buddies in video games. A lot of them are not good. So it's 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 encouraging when a game can actually make the little buddy work because yeah. some because uh, the worst thing about zelda ocarina of time is easily navi the fairy yeah the fact that this little guy rides around on your shoulder like he's pikachu and makes cute little noises and helps you open doors and also like he get like he gets his foot hurt like early on and so he's got to like limp around a little bit till you fix his foot. It's it's good. It's the best thing about the game. Our friend Jody, a uh, friend of the show, only refers to the main character of this game as Cal Lightsaber, uh, which is funny for many reasons. Uh, partly because when you pause the game and the like menu screen comes up, like it defaults to showing you what your lightsaber skills are, and so it says Cal, and then in smaller letters underneath, lightsaber. Uh, I did think, because I had not played this game until like last week, that that was his Christian name. But he is a very, honestly, pretty boring dude who looks like a pretty boring dude. Which sucks because the antagonist, when she takes her helmet off and you see her, you're like, that's a much cooler looking person. Uh, who has cooler armor. Bummer that I have to be this guy. Drop the ball on, on Cal Lightsaber. Picked the ball up and and the end of Space Jam dunked it with the creation of BD1, whose name now that I'm saying it out loud is Buddy. His name's BD. Yeah, BD Buddy. He's your little buddy. He's a little buddy. Can't believe that took me to talking about it. But I play games with the sound off most of the time. Matt. Oh, also I got it for like five bucks because it was on sale on Steam. And I love buying things on sale on Steam uh, for five bucks. That's my literal favorite thing to do, and I, and I will do it with virtually any gang, uh, any game. So, if you are in charge of Steam and you want to get me to buy a game, make it five bucks. Matt, what do you have to recommend to the people? Well, Chris, this will surprise no one, and it will surprise no one to hear that this show is absolutely my shit. Because it's just Jeopardy. Bold stance to recommend the television show Jeopardy. Okay, but this is specifically the ongoing Jeopardy tournament, Jeopardy Masters. The thing that Jeopardy has been doing over the last few years that's brilliant is just figuring out ways to get their best players to come back and play again. Like, these Jeopardy! champions who kind of become celebrities by winning Jeopardy, 
And like they come back once for the tournament of champions, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, they had Amy Schneider come back for the tournament of champions, but it's like, how can we get Amy Schneider and James Holtower and Matea Roach to come back another time? And the way that they have done it is by uh, every few years, they hold one of these like primetime tournaments where they bring them all back and they're like, now you're going to play for like ultimate Jeopardy supremacy. Like it a few years ago, they had Jeopardy the greatest of all time where they brought back, you know, Ken Jennings before he became the host and James Holtower and other people. And now it's Jeopardy masters and they just have them play against each other in games like every night. Which is also a great thing to put on TV during a writer's strike, I guess. Somebody I mean, gotta write those questions, Matt. That's true. I, I, I wonder if Jeopardy's writers are WGA. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure this was taped months ago. But that is a good question. Are Jeopardy's writers WGA and are they on strike? If, if you are a writer for Jeopardy listening to this, let me know. <laughs> And, and support the WGA strike, by the way. Support the WDJ, WGA strike, 100%. Do not break the picket line. Do not. Do not be a scab. Nonetheless, I'm really digging Jeopardy Masters. And I kind of... I'm kind of, like, weirdly invested in how they've made little tweaks to the game for this primetime show. Like... You know, they show Celebrity Jeopardy in primetime, too, and that's whatever. Like, I don't really want to watch that, but watching people who are really, really good at Jeopardy play Jeopardy, and it's an hour-long episode where they put two games in an episode, and before each round, they show the audience where the Daily Doubles are. They've never done that before. They've never done that. It's. I don't understand where the idea came from, why they decided to do it, or what. But they currently now they show the viewing audience at home. They don't show the contestants, but they show the viewing audience at home where the daily doubles are before Wild. the round start. They don't do it on regular Jeopardy, but they do it in Jeopardy Masters. Can you tell how excited I am? <laughs> I can tell. This is and this is like this is your jam. Yeah, it's it's great. And unlike regular Jeopardy, it's actually streaming somewhere that you can watch it and you don't have to watch it live. Uh it's on Hulu. It's on Huey Lewis streaming service. So go watch Jeopardy Masters if you're a weirdo like me who loves trivia. With that, Chris, those are our checks and wrecks, which means it's time to talk about some comics. Let's do it. Chris, I'm not too proud to admit when I've been swerved, when I've been fooled, when I've been duped and made to look quite the Joker. And that's what Amazing Spider-Man has done to me. Matt, 
in the words of friend of the show, Tony Giovanni, there are swerves and there are swerves. And my friend, we have all been swerved. I thought for sure that the previous issue confirmed that those kids were Mary Jane's biological children. Well, one of them's got Mary Jane hair. Yeah, one of them's got Mary Jane hair. Mary Jane hair. But here, in issue number 25, it is made abundantly clear that these are two children that Mary Jane and... What's the guy's name? Owen? Owen, yeah. Yeah. Find in the sort of, like, alternate universe that they're stuck in. They, they're kids they just found, which yeah. is a little weird. It's a which little is not my favorite explanation. I mean, I like, I guess, like, other... Like other people besides Peter and, and Mary Jane and Owen were like taken to this world, right? So, yeah, like, uh, there, look, there's a lot of stuff about this other world to sort of like, I, I don't know, but like sun god world that they're in that I don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. And this issue throws a lot of stuff about it at you. Yeah, because because look, there are like buildings that used to be New York here, so I get you know, presumably it's like an alternate dimension that is now in the apocalypse. Like the apocalypse has happened, but later in the issue, like Mary Jane and Owen and the kids, they've like built a house and planted a garden and like started a whole life together. Where they have like books and electricity. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember what exactly the setup of this was. Cause and I I feel like I'm confusing it with the thing that happened in Fantastic Four, where like an entire city block was sent to the future. Right. As opposed like I, I don't remember if like a grocery store and a library got caught up in all this, you know? <laughs> or if this is just, like, a weird dimension that also has, like, Earth stuff. I, th- I think it's an alternate Earth that has been affected by an apocalypse. I th- that, that is sort of the implication. But it was, like, when it showed their house and the kids were, like, reading children's books, I was like, where'd they get those books? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like it is it is relatively well explained. Uh, or Ex- not explained, but like justified by like the world itself. It's just it's just not fully explained to you as a reader, uh, which is which is fine. Like I don't need ten pages explaining here's where the books came from, right? Uh, but but it's also like, hey, where'd those books come from? <laughs> we do get badass like fucking Sarah Connor, Mary Jane Watson in this issue. Yeah. Uh, the, the art in this is John Romita Jr. And, uh, Kari Andrews. Yeah. And Kari Andrews does all the stuff in the other dimension, I think. And John Romita Jr. Does, does the like regular stuff. He, 
he does some of the stuff in the other dimension, but only when Spider Man shows up. Yeah. The the scene that we've we've seen previously. Right. Uh, and then the kind of follow up to that. And yeah, he like there are some bananas Mary Jane pages in this that I that I'm I'm glad you also took note of of them because I didn't text you about them because I didn't know if you were going to have time. One of them is like full into Hamilton in Terminator. One of them is like wild pinup Mary Jane. Yeah. There, there's some, there's some, there's a lot of different takes on Mary Jane from one artist. I mean, it's cool. Like I, I think it's the way it shows the passage of time. Cause I think ultimately what we find out is that Mary Jane and Owen, well, we don't know how, how long Owen has been in this other dimension, but like Mary Jane spends approximately four years in the other dimension. So we see a lot of like her evolution into like first from like, she has to actually be a fighter to survive in this world. Mm Mm-hmm to then being, like, a survivor. To then living, like, more of a comfortable life, but she's ready to jump into survivor mode again as soon as she needs to. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel like that is an interesting experience for Mary Jane to have gone through and now be back. Like, I don't know if it'll turn into any like really useful or good stories in the future, but I hope it does. Like I hope this context for Mary Jane, like having been through this experience, even if Owen and the kids, you know, go away in some way. Like I really part of Mary Jane. I really want Mary Jane to keep her weird magic slot machine uh powers. Her jackpot powers? Yeah, where she where she's gotta hit the jackpot. And it's all random. That is a very fun thing. What is the, the the idea of that thing? Is like it's pulling in stuff from other dimensions. The idea is that like there are these glyphs that have power in this dimension, and right. Owen makes a an algorithm to create these glyphs to see like to try random combinations of all these glyphs uh, to see if he can you know unlock secret new powers and it ends up literally being a slot machine like a hologram slot machine that mary jane shoots out that can do that can make cotton candy in this issue yeah i the cotton candy i thought was being like teleported from somewhere else but maybe it's just making cotton candy yeah Uh, it's it's ill-defined in a way that i'm like yes i need to know more about this yeah uh, there's also a backup in this issue by Rainbow Rowell and Alvaro Lopez, where uh, Peter and Felicia Hardy go to a wedding in Omaha, and it's got Spider-Man operating in a place that's not New York, so he's constantly amazed by how small it is, and there are no buildings for him to swing on, and it's very funny. Always, always a hoot when that happens. Yeah. All right. That's uh, Amazing Spider-Man. I did not have a lot of time to read other comics this week, so 
Uh, Chris, you wanted to talk about Silk Number One. Uh, tell me about it. I have since her debut. I have liked Silk as a character a lot, partly because I just I really like that costume. I think that's an underrated, really great costume with the uh, the scarf and everything. Uh, so I'm always curious to see when there is a new Silk comic out. Um, this one was by uh, Emily Kim and uh, Iguara. Uh, who I am not familiar with. And it was interesting from the start because it opens with Silk as like a detective in Roaring Twenties Hollywood that like when she starts fighting a demon, like she pulls off her trench coat and she's got like a like femme fatale version of her costume that's like a dress with like stockings and a little hat with a veil like a little it, it's such a cool look and so i was reading it and i was like oh is this you know i went back and looked at the cover which is a a dave johnson cover that prominently features silk as we know her uh with also some alternate versions in the background but without any context dropping into this uh i was like oh is this like a weird like like when they did like Spider-Man noir, is that what this is? And no, what it is, is it's Cindy moon. As you find out at the end is trapped in like a, a coma where she is being bounced between movie genres. So she's in kind of a classic horror detective story. Then she's in, like, as soon as she realizes, wait a second, this isn't real, she then immediately snaps to a Western, where she is wearing, like, a Western version of her costume and doing a train robbery. And then you get the context at the end. Um, It was very, like, it was engaging enough that I was, like, rolling with it uh, from the start, not knowing what the deal was. And then I really liked that premise when it came back. So uh, I am very much looking forward to the rest of the series. A very good way to start. And finally, Chris, you wanted to talk about uh, the second issue of the new Superboy series, which I read the first issue of and liked a lot. So how does the second issue hold up? The first issue, my theory uh, was that it is a, a version of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes with, in 2023, with... 90s Superboy. That Superboy, who in that form at least, never did like a Legion thing. He did do a Legion thing later, but that was later. Doesn't count. That's three-boot Legion. It's different. Um, so, uh, this time, I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, is this is this Superboy and the Legion, or is this Superboy and the Ravers? And I think it's both. And I think it's not only both, it's also like pulling in pulling in the weird Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet versions of the Jack Kirby stuff, like the 90s versions of the Kirby stuff, because it's all about clones and there's a, a Dominator that we uh, don't really see who they're talking about being responsible for the clones, whose name is Dominator X. And it's like, oh, so that's definitely like a riff on double X, right? Like we don't see Dominator X and I'm sure that's what it's going to be. I'm calling it now. 
Uh, but I feel like that's clearly where we're going. Bringing in like multiple different eras of Superboy, kind of like collapsing them onto 2023 Connor Ken, which I love. I because I love the Superboy and I love all that stuff. So it's very exciting for me personally. I'm gonna have to catch up, and I will. Uh, but before that, Chris, before I go catch up on Superboy, it is our duty to talk to Robert Newsom from the Atomic Elbow, and uh, I think it's going to be a great time. I think it's also going to be a great time, Matt. for the program this week someone that i am very excited to have on the show for i believe the first time even though we have known each other i I think the three of us have known each other as long as matt and i have known each other he is the creative mind but the the publisher and I, i would say chief writer of the atomic elbow uh my favorite professional wrestling fanzine uh and also a person who you definitely know if you were in comics in the Southeast, fighting out of Athens, Georgia, it is Robert Newsom. Robert, welcome to the show. How are you? I am spectacular. I am excited to be here. I think we've known each other for, at this point, it's a decade. Yeah, it's because it, I did buy, I think I bought Atomic Elbow number one from you. Yeah, it's been 11 years, so we're, 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 over, we're in our second decade. Yeah. I I think the first year that I met Matt, Matt cuz cuz you and I had known each other a little bit online before we actually met at a Heroes Con. It was either Heroes Con that year or when I did Fluke that year that I first met Robert Newsom. So yeah, there's history. There's history here. There's a lot of back and forth. I can't remember the first Heroes I went to. Um and I can't remember the first fluke that you went to. So it's there's a lot of question marks. It's a real Matthew Lesko situation. Mm. <laughs> I actually thought of a Matthew Lesko just the other day, and I can't remember why. <laughs> I think about Matthew Lesko a lot. Um, I I don't. I'm not proud of it, but here we are. We're all thinking you know, about him I, now. You know what my number one question about Matthew Lesko is? What's Matthew Lesko's whole deal, like his book was free money to change your life. And yet he wore a suit with question marks on it instead of a suit with dollar signs on it. (laughs) That's not good branding. They should have been dollar signs, right? I mean, I would say the major problem with that is that there is a fairly famous pop culture character who does wear a suit with question marks all over it who is a bad guy exactly that's brand confusion but they're also 
Go ahead. And I apologize for interrupting. If we're going to bring it back to professional wrestling, which I rarely do, there is also a significant popular cultural figure who wears a suit with dollar signs all over it, and he's also a bad guy. And I think who in the news lately, we from the government. <laughs> right. is not, he did not go through proper channels. I think lately we we've seen just how bad Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase <laughs> actually is. He's just uh, living the gimmick. He he is. He, like that's that's what he should he should have come out and said everybody has a price and done his laugh. And I would still be on his side because of that time that I met him in the Portland airport. <laughs> Uh, the story that my wife loves to tell because I was because you don't know what to do when you unexpectedly encounter the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. <laughs> You're not ready for it, and AC loves to tell this story because what I did was I stood up and bowed. <laughs> <laughs> it, would that be your reaction now, knowing the the many <laughs> legal accusations against? Ted DiBiase. I mean, Matt, at the time, I knew he had bankrolled the NWO. That's true. He he <laughs> took living the gimmick to a whole different level. Him and Here Ted Jr. Yeah. I am, I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still taken aback by the fact that you bowed. Yeah. Look, oh, it was not a conscious choice. <laughs> it, it was... I didn't realize what I was doing. It okay. Th- this is a long story, and this interview is about Robert Newsom. But we will t- we will return to this at another time. Robert Newsom, let's talk about living the gimmick. Uh, you are someone who I talk to my wife about all the time. Uh, we oh, like to no. play a fun game, which is called "Who Tweeted It," uh, which was was fun back when uh, Twitter was slightly less bad it was always, it's been bad for quite a while but uh i would always uh uh read her things you had said to see if she could guess if it was you which uh usually you were a good one to do because you are it's always either socialism or being angry at vince jr's cartoon wrestling and and i think the two um steel gear inside gear mesh together so well um in several situations um but yes uh those are those are a couple of my my varied interests um yeah twitter is bad right but i mean i'll never leave it but it's it's bad like we we shouldn't be using it and yet man there's no there's nothing after the end yet (laughs) man i was just talking about this of, of like getting out now is like it's like getting out of that hole that Batman was in in The Dark Knight Rises. It's like you know you like it's all of us watching as someone tries to to delete the app and stop like find other ways to talk to people that they've become friends with over the past 15 years. It, it took me a long time, but I feel like I'm on my way out. I deleted the app off of my phone and I don't have the Twitter the the tab open on my desktop all the time anymore and i go for hours without even thinking about it it is i can't recommend it more it's such a better way to live your life if you can try 
it's a very shameful thing to admit, but I, I, I am on there constantly. I think, um, I think a lot of it has to do, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not a promotion guy. I've got this zine that I do, and you can get it if you want it. I don't care, but it grew out of that idea of using Twitter as a promotional tool, you know, 10 years ago. And at one time I tried to maintain two separate accounts for the, the personal stuff and the zine and that got too hard. And so I just combined everything. And now it's, um, it's just a notebook. Like, I don't know that I read it as much as I use it as a place to, oh, I thought of something. I'm going to put this here and and just move on. Not that my stuff is, you know, look, like any notebook, it's, um, it's you're going to have varying quality. But, uh, you know, it, it's just there. It's it's an archive. And I, I'm I'm a quick and, and thorough blocker. So, you know, I, I probably block a couple dozen accounts a day. Um, I figure if I can just keep doing that, I can get it down to just the 30 or 40 people that I really want to hear what they have to say. So that's that's kind of my goal. I'm, I'm really just bearing down on it. So rather than Batman emerging from a hole, I kind of take the tactic of what if he just kept digging? <laughs> <laughs> he would have made it a cave, which like that's his that's his place. That's where he lives. Just, that's his house. I'm just of the mind that like I was here first, and and you can't get rid of me. I'll make this place worse than you ever will. Like, and I think they will get rid of us. Yeah, <laughs> and and I mean, no, let's be clear: they're going to get rid of us, but. You know, it's fine. What is your favorite word that you have muted? Because I know you're a, you have mentioned before, you are a, you are a muter. You will, you will mute a term in a heartbeat. Muting, uh, muting Star Wars was a life changer. Um, <laughs> like muting, muting the word Elon and, I miss out on a lot of news from Elon University, and I under- understand that. Um, but that was a good one. Uh, muting the phrase "let that sink in" was huh. that was a real life changer for a while. Um, that was one that my I've most also recent. Done. My most recent. Oh, and I, the first word that I muted was the word Kanye. That helped quite a bit. Um, and the most recent, uh, CM Punk. So I just, a lot of things I simply don't see. And you'll notice, and I don't expect anyone again to pay close attention to my Twitter because why would you, but you'll notice that when I talk about star Wars, I use star Wars. I set that as one word. So that I can bypass my own mute filter. Because if I tweet something about Star Wars and it's two words, I might not see the replies. So Star Wars, when I write it, is always a single word. So that I can see what I've said. <laughs> does, have you, in your experience, does muting work? 
because I've seen a lot of people complain about terms they mute still getting through. Do, do you actually never see those terms? I don't think it's a brick wall, but I think it works as a gate. I'll tell you, I haven't seen anything about CM Punk lately. I don't know what that guy's up to, and I couldn't be happier about it. So that one has worked. Um, I have the word Cody and Cody Rhodes muted. Don't know what that guy's up to. So it works most of the time. Matt, do you have a, a favorite muted term? I don't remember what I have muted. I, I'm sure I've muted some things, uh, but I, I, in all sincerity, do not remember the things I have muted. So, no. <laughs> I muted the word thread. Like, literally oh, okay. the same day that I muted the words, let that sink in, as a phrase, I also put thread in there. Uh, and then people mm. use the little emoji now. And I, I shan't be muting an emoji. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I didn't know you Robert, could. Some, you are the publisher of Pro Wrestling Fanzine, so obviously we did want to get your take on this whole CM Punk Cody Rhodes situation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for hours on end. Um, I, okay, listen. I understand that Charles Montgomery Punk has been influential and inspirational to several people who I care about dearly, and I do not want to offend them, but I simply don't care. I think that occasionally there is a personality that is surrounded with speculation that tends to overshadow wrestling itself through no fault of their own. I'm not saying that that was this person's intent, but the character or, or the person becomes bigger than wrestling. And I don't care for that. It's it's not, and again, it's not some stupid carny desire to protect wrestling wrestling will be around forever no matter what anybody does it's fine it doesn't need our help but it's just like i don't know i get bored with that kind of thing easily so um and then cody rhodes i'm beginning to think that his neck tattoo is real um i was a neck tattoo truther for a long time um from the second he posted it online, I thought there's, you know, and I vocally said out loud, there's no way that's real. Um, but the past few months have really <laughs> sort of made me come around to the fact that that might be real. Yeah. That neck tattoo, I feel like, was the turning point for Cody Rhodes. He has to know it's bad. He has to know it's bad. It was that neck tattoo and some other stuff. Like, it wasn't just the neck tattoo. It was the neck tattoo and a couple of promos. But it, like all of that together, yeah, it definitely was the turning point on Cody. I, I can, I can tell you, Robert, um, based on his Instagram, what CM Punk is has been up to lately, and that is taking photos of his television while he watches hockey. It's weird to me how every. 
Every hardcore kid goes through a hockey phase. Mine was 1996 through 1999. And it's amazing to me when it sticks. Now, I am from the deep South. So my love for hockey is one that I had to come to in a very roundabout way. And if you're from Chicago, I'm sure that's baked in, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting um, when, when the hockey phase isn't a phase when it sticks. (laughs) Now people might hear us talking about modern day pro wrestlers and think, well, that must be what this guy is about. But mm-hmm. I would say primarily, and then the, the primary thing I get out of the Atomic Elbow, because again, I have been a, a devotee of, of this magazine, this periodical publication, uh, for quite some time. Uh, I And a contributor. Have, I've written, yeah, I've written a couple things from it, uh, or, or written a couple things for it that you were nice enough to publish. Uh, you let me write a, uh, I would say an ode to uh, William Regal about how I was weirdly obsessed with Regal as a child uh, into my adulthood. Uh, But I would say the primary feature, the thing that I look forward to when I get every issue, uh, is each issue has you writing an exhaustively detailed recap and review of a wrestling show. And when I say exhaustively detailed... I don't mean that the information about the show is detailed, just that your thought process, every it seems like every thought you have makes it to the page. And I mean that oh, it in does. the best possible way. It's, it's because... I think that... The, okay... So the I've analyzed this a lot and I'm not going to I'm not going to try to get too heavy about it but I have been a wrestling fan literally since before I could remember. I asked my mom once when dad took me to the first wrestling show and she said that she didn't know that I could walk but just barely and she thinks I may have been 2 years old. So we're talking about more than 40 years consistently of being a wrestling fan and it exists as a thing that is woven into just everything else. And so when I'm writing about it, I want to show how it informs everything and everything informs it. At least that's the way it works in my brain. That might not be the way it works in the real world. It probably isn't. Nobody thinks about wrestling, but it's, it's just, it's such a part and it's such a uniquely like, you know, the, it's, it's one of the three American art forms, you know, professional wrestling, pop music and comic books. And like, that's, those are what we did. And so it's it's in the culture, it's in the air, it's in everything. And then, look, I, I I'm sounding too much like, you know, an intro to literature instructor in you know English 1101 or something. But but yeah, that's just the way my brain kind of approaches it. So anything that I can grab onto, it you know that's the research that I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I feel like you, the the three of us really, but like you had an approach to writing and thinking about pro wrestling 
that was very similar to approaches that uh, Matt and I have taken with comics. Like, in the way that when I would write about a comic or when I would write about a run of comics or when we would devote hours and hours of this podcast to talking about the Mark Grunewald Captain America run, like, it's... It is very much in conversation with the other stuff that's on your mind or the other stuff that that you can go back and think about the the influences of or what else was going on at the time. Like, we know why there was a bit with a white Bronco in that in that Roddy <laughs> Piper versus Goldust match. So you don't really need to go and unpack that one, but there's similar things that you might have forgotten. Uh, that I feel like you there's there's no reference that is made on commentary that you do not like kind of at least consider chasing down and then write about how you considered chasing it down. You have to pick that stuff apart. There's when I was trying to and failing, failing miserably to write about every episode of Championship Wrestling from Florida from 1984. There's one promo where I don't even remember who it was now, but the bad guy um, referred to one of the good guy wrestlers as a quote strawberry picker. Now I knew that was racist, but I needed to know how it was racist. And so I called the Florida Department of Agriculture and got figures for the number uh, – an approximate number of migrant workers on strawberry farms in Florida in the 1983 harvest season for strawberries and compared that with the number of migrant workers – in other things that Florida produces, like orange production and things like that, and found out that whether it was intentional or not, that was a very specific type of racism that was remarkably accurate. And I know that the person who said that probably saw a non-white person picking strawberries and just thought, that's a good thing to put in a bad guy promo. But the joy that I received from chasing down the fact that this person was probably unintentionally the most racist he possibly could have been like, that is what matters to me about this. Robert, I, I, I don't tell me if you agree with this thought that just occurred to me. I feel like going back and watching old wrestling from 40 years ago or so is a way to get a snapshot of a period of time in certain geographic locations that it is impossible to get anywhere else. Like you can go back and look at pop culture from the mid eighties with ease. Like you can watch, you, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube about, where you could watch like old music videos, talk show clips, whatever. But if you want to know what was going on in Georgia or Memphis in 1984, it's kind of just wrestling, right? <laughs> like it's 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 a snapshot you can't get anywhere else, I feel like. And this is why 
a point that I make a lot when I'm writing about this stuff is that if you're watching professional wrestling on a sanctioned, well, let's just say what it is. It's, it's WWE now. Everything is, for the most part, everything that you would want to see is owned by the McMahon family. And so at this point, they have the ability to literally revise history. And I think what you're saying is why it's important to keep an eye on these people, because you're absolutely correct. This is a sense of a very particular um, cross-section of a lot of things that were happening in popular culture. And for one person or one family to have the ability to revise that history and make it say whatever they want it to say is, I don't want to use the word dangerous because we're talking about professional wrestling, but it is dangerous. And so that's why I like the fact that there are holdouts, uh, you know, that there are people who own tape libraries that the WWE does not own. And I think that's important, but it's also important to me to find this stuff and archive it myself because it might not be there in that form. I mean, we've already lost the original entrance music. We've already lost the original references in some cases to popular culture things that, and I'm not, I'm talking about anything nefarious, but things that the WWE can't get the rights to. And I think crucially, we don't have the original commercials included in the broadcast. And I think, and I say this in probably every other article I write in my zine, the commercials are an essential part of the text for any wrestling show that you are watching that was aired on broadcast television and had commercials in it to cut the commercials out of that is to rob a viewer 30, 40 years in the future of probably 20 or 30% of the text, because you're right. You're watching a wrestling show and you see, oh, there's a Castrol motor oil commercial. There's a clear seal pimple cream commercial. There's a Karate Fighters commercial. There's the commercial for the first release of the Game Boy. And so all of these things, you know, th- this nexus of all of these different streams of popular culture coming together, you miss that if you don't have the complete text, um, which is launches into another debate that I won't bore you with, but that's why I think piracy, what what is called piracy, is incredibly important. Because even though WWE owns the entire tape library for, to use an example I've already used, Florida Championship Wrestling, they're not doing anything with it. They bought it so they could put two matches on that Dusty Rhodes DVD collection that came out 12 or 13 years ago, and then it's gathering dust. And so that is, in my opinion, the best wrestling has ever been. And it needs to exist. It needs to exist in the context that it was originally seen. And it needs to be preserved in that context. And that's something that I think is not being done. So uh, to loop back around, and you, you're welcome to chop all of this part out and just put here, I'll give you a clean drop. Yes, you're correct. what do you get out of watching old wrestling because i like which i I think is a a weird question for me to ask because 
I read old comics all the time. Again, hours and hours of the show about Mark Greenwald's Captain America. And even though I I know that like there's you know Golden Age comics, Silver Age comics, those were different from the comics that I grew up with, which are different from the comics I read now. Like even though I know that that the evolution of stories is a thing. I, I still get a lot out of reading old comics, whereas I feel like the hit rate of of older wrestling for me tends to be a lot. Look, I have a tattoo referencing a match from 1985. It's a great match. It holds up. The rest of that card does not. So, what do you like? Why do you, like? What do you look for when you're sitting down to pick a show that you want to write about, and what do you get out of it? I'm going to use. Your references, I'm going to throw them back at you. I, I think I might have a couple years on you, but the reason, and I'm, I'm speculating, but I, I'm speaking honestly about myself, but I'm speculating for you. The, um, the 70s kind of bong water era of Marvel comics, by the time I was a kid with my own money, those were the comics that were in the quarter boxes. And so... I am a big, big, big Steve Gerber guy, right? And everybody remembers the broad beats. We know about Howard the Duck. We know he was in Cleveland. We know he ran for president. We know about Man Thing. You know, we, we know the basics. But how much do you really and i'm i'm not saying you as in chris sims or you as in matt because the two of you you do remember this but like how much do you really remember about damon hellstrom and how much do you really how much do you really remember about starhawk and 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 so we all have the broad strokes we know that Terry Funk and Ric Flair had a big feud in 1989, but what was that surrounded with? And even as I say those words right now, I don't know the answer to that question. Proving my own point, I think. Everybody remembers Ric Flair and Terry Funk having this huge – everybody remembers Terry Funk pile-driving Ric Flair on the table. But that was the end of the show. What was at the beginning of that show? What else was going on and i think that's important and so that's what i get is like this sense of okay i know the broad strokes and i can fill in now these little pieces of scaffolding and buttresses that were holding all of that up and so if you if you take terry funk as man thing and rick flair as howard the duck who in that equation is is Starhawk? Who is the son of Satan? I, I don't I don't want to make a Morbius reference right now because he's his own different pop culture thing. But but that's Steve Gerber too, you know. And so that's what I get out of it, you know. Because when I'm reading these old comics or watching these old matches, there's one panel or one promo or one match that is completely new to me, even though it's 40 years old, 50 years old in some cases, is the supporting acts that held everything else up. Because if they just put 
Sting versus Lex Luger on TV, and then the show went off after 30 minutes. That's not fun. You got to have a big Josh match. You got to have Norman the Lunatic. You got to have Firebreaker Chip. But nobody remembers Firebreaker Chip. And I want to be the guy that remembers Firebreaker Chip. Shout out to Firebreaker Chip, who I believe a thing that I do is I will be reading the atomic elbow in bed and I will like laugh so hard that I have to read bits out loud to AC. Uh, and I believe one of the first ones that I had to read out loud was reading about firebreaker chip and your, your confusion over the name firebreaker. Nothing has ever been called a firebreaker ever. No firefighter. I, I can't find reference to the word firebreaker. Like, I think WCW made that up. Incredible. Matt, it sounds like a Dusty Rhodes-ism. He, he it, it does. <laughs> yeah. He breaks the fires. <laughs> he don't just fight the fire. Uh, <laughs> he breaks Matt. If, if all the fire firebreakers out there want to get in on these conversations that we have with uh, people like Robert Newsom, how exactly can they go about that? Well, Chris, well, uh, before I, I let them know that, I, I do have an update. I, I went and checked on my muted terms on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I'm sure yes. I had more at one time. I'm sure I had more at one time. Um, currently, what's on my muted terms is just one name, one person's name. Can you guess it, listener? If you want to ask questions for our guests, uh, he might go be to the Twitter. person that I muted every version of his name and title I could think of. Um, Matt, is it Firebreaker Chip? <laughs> it is not. I want to see every tweet about Firebreaker Chip. <laughs> if you want to ask questions of our guests here on the show, uh, you can go on Twitter and follow us at War Rocket Pod and ask questions there, or you can join our very nice. Discord server, uh, you have to be invited to be on it. So ask us for an invitation, and we'll get you one. And uh, we'll put out the call for questions in both of those places. And you can ask a question just like these for Robert Newsom. Robert, here's a question from Blue Neurosis on Twitter, who wants to know: Is there wrestling slang you wish were was more commonly used? You know, Blue. I'm going to go the opposite direction here and say, I wish all of it were not commonly used. Um, We as wrestling fans should not know what the word kayfabe means. We as wrestling fans should not know what a gimmick is. We shouldn't know I think the adoption of insider terms by wrestling fans did probably more harm to wrestling than all of the exposés in the 90s about wrestling secrets revealed. Because as Bobby Heenan once said, we, meaning the wrestlers, we never told you it was real. You told us it was fake. And so I think wrestling has never pretended that it's real. 
right? But the the use of insider terms, I think, by fans, myself included, I'm not exempt from this, makes us think we have more of a place on the other side of the barricade than we actually do. So to answer that question, I wish no wrestling slang were used outside of the context of wrestling, which is not what you asked, but sorry. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Robert, because there are, there are the like insider carny wrestling terms, you know, kayfabe, Mark, all of that kind of stuff. There are also the terms that you kind of only hear on wrestling commentary. Stuff like plunder. To refer to weaponry. Now, see, I think, yes, I think clubbering, clubbering, (laughs) clubbering should be clubbering should be used in in way more contexts. Uh, Plunder is great. Um, Yeah, anything that a commentator says on, you know, on the air, as it were, that's fair game, and it absolutely should be adopted and used. I I honestly think that uh that Vince McMahon was a, was a great wrestling commentator because of the weird way that he talked uh on the I air. think he's an and underrated commentator. I really do. I think people hate him so much as a human being that they tend to overlook the fact that you know what you you got to hand it to the guy. He was pretty good on the mic until he became a, a caricature of himself, which that's, you know, that's an entirely different thing. But yeah, what a maneuver is a great thing to say. Um, he, he, was, he was playing the role of a guy who really didn't know much about wrestling. And that was fun. And he was good at it. And I wish he'd stayed there. But no, so yeah, maybe the answer to that question is uh, clubberin'. The one that I think about every time I hear, every time I hear anyone say the word behemoth, I think of bohemoth, which is how Gorilla Monsoon would say mm-hmm. behemoth. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't, I don't usually do this to our interviewees, uh, but I do have a counterpoint, which is that referring to any noun as a gimmick is hilarious. <laughs> it is. It is. It is undeniably funny. But what have we done to earn it? How many bumps have you taken? That's a good question. I mean, I fall down sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, I, I, I am fortunate enough to be friends with some professional wrestlers. And, and one thing that they, that they say, you know, when people are questioning things that they do or, or how they, you know, when non-wrestlers have criticism of them, this person's first reaction is always take you a bump. And, and so until, until you're doing back bump drills, you know, night after night for a couple of years, maybe just let gimmick be a funny word. Uh, here's a question from stone cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on more rocket Ajax. Stone Cold wants to know, they ever going to come out with a Sega Exodus? I am more concerned about the advent of the TurboGrafx-32. 
here's here's my thing. If there's going to be a Sega, Sega Exodus, that means there's got to be a Sega Leviticus, and that we cannot allow. We cannot allow it. <laughs> I was just going to say it would it would be pretty boring. <laughs> uh, one of uh, my favorite uh, wrestling adjacent jokes is on Botchamania when he would refer to uh, any any installment of. Uh, TNA Genesis as TNA Mega Drive. <laughs> that is funny. I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Uh, CJ Crawl on our Discord wants to know what Muppet would make the best wrestler? Sweetums. Yes. Mm. He's got the size. Sweetums, Sweetums is the El Gigante of the Muppets. <laughs> El, El Gigante. <laughs> known as the best wrestler of all time. I This is a joke that I've made several times, and now I'm going to make it here um, to increase its spread. But I think that in, 90, you know, in the 90s when WCW didn't have Ric Flair and they were floundering trying to find out what to do, they should have given El Gigante a new gimmick, put him in a tuxedo and a top hat like the monster in Young Frankenstein, given him a monocle and called him Elegante. <laughs> and the fact that the two of you aren't laughing is testament I'm to the fact of how good an idea this is. I'm nodding appreciatively. Everyone I, would I, still I, be talking about how great Elegante was. Uh, here's a question from Patrick O.D. on our Discord. Patrick O'Duffy, the boss dog. Uh, he wants to know, what's your favorite song from Beat the Champ? The Mountain Goats album, uh, choked out. It's a good, good one. That's it. It's the um, it's the best hardcore song that uh, the Mountain Goats have ever written. And I know they're not a hardcore band, but um, I'm still waiting for like, and it can't be. It has to be an ignorant riff, tough guy, beat down hardcore band needs to cover choked out because. You could put a breakdown in that that anyone listening to it would destroy every stick of furniture in their house. It, it can be done, but it hasn't been done. And I think that is um, that's a black spot on the record of hardcore as a genre, which historically has been wildly unproblematic. So um, we need to solve that problem. That was a joke. <laughs> Uh, the balloon animal on Twitter wants to know what are some of your all-time favorite ring entrances. The Wrestle Kingdom, where um, Okada came out while Marty Friedman played uh, the theme. Was it Okada that did that? Where Marty Friedman, formerly of Megadeth, who is now a huge star in Japan and has his own uh, television show where he just shreds with Paul Gilbert for 30 minutes and people love it. Um, but where Marty Friedman came out and just played riffs while the dude walked to the ring, um, that was great. I mean, that's absolutely great. That's got to be Here's one of my favorites. I temporarily lived in a universe where you, where what you said was Marty Feldman and was losing oh, that would have been funnier imagining this yeah if Marty Feldman just played guitar apparently For it was Tanahashi 
It was not. Oh, was it? That's right, because he's the he's the air guitar guy. Edit this and make it sound like I knew what I was talking about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah, Marty Friedman. uh, Just I I was honestly concentrating more on Marty than I was on the wrestler. But yeah, he um, he played some riffs while Tanahashi. It makes more sense now because Tanahashi's got the air guitar. Yeah, I would go with that one. Um, That one's just spectacular. And then of course Goldberg's entrance, where they followed him. From the the locker, I mean, it was, and it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I really, I think, if an indie federation had a television show and wanted to make a joke that would only make me laugh, they would have a Goldberg type wrestler, and his or her or their entrance would be filmed from the parking lot across the street, and it would last like seven minutes of just this person walking to the ring. And then the Robert, match would be, you know, 15 seconds. Robert, you might disagree with me, but I think in wrestling, the thing Goldberg was perhaps most skilled at was during his pyro inhaling yes, that I know. smoke. So that they yes. could then exhale it. Imagine what that must have tasted like. <laughs> I think about Goldberg literally breathing fireworks yeah. so much. It can't have been good for him. But, you know, it he cannot. did it. He suffered for his art. He did. He did. All right. I think we only have time for one more question. So I will take this one from John Hex Lives on Twitter, which is another, what's your favorite kind of question. Uh, what's your favorite kind of match stipulation? Never really thought about that too hard. Um, I like it when there's a thing on a pole. Okay. That's always fun. Um, my least favorite is the I quit match. Uh, there has never been a good I quit match. Um, um no. Um, Chris is going to hard disagree with you there. (laughs) I love lighting fuses and getting away. I don't know. I mean, I I like, you know, I'm just going to say putting something on a pole. That's a classic. Do you like it more when it's like something of relatively little value that's put on a pole? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, oh, like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I just remember my favorite match stipulation. Oh, my God. How could I have forgotten this? This is from – I was talking about this to my friend uh, – from my friend Ed um, in Chicago. Hello, Ed. That there was a match – there was a whole angle in Memphis built around Jeff Jarrett and somebody. And I cannot remember who the opponent was, and I'm hoping your listeners can fill me in here. But the entire stipulation of the match was that the loser of the match had to eat a cake that had been frosted with chocolate X-lax laxatives. And so the entire – and it was taken seriously. The, The entire angle was built around the fact that the loser of this match had to eat a cake that would make them poop a little faster than they would normally poop. (laughs) And it was played so well. And I remember the second the cake touched lip, just, he just grabbed the back of his tights and ran full force back to the locker room as if the X-Lex had worked 
instantly, and I, oh, I wish I could remember who who Jeff Jarrett's opponent was in the loser must eat the X lax cake match. But that is my favorite wrestling stipulation of all time. The loser has to eat a cake frosted with laxatives. I honestly think that like you have to eat a whole cake immediately after a wrestling match is a pretty harrowing stipulation. Even before you had the chance of shitting yourself. It was Billy Travis, by the way. It was Jeff, Jar- Jeff Jarrett and Billy Travis. I think that might be the only example of a cake in wrestling getting eaten. Yeah. Yeah, because anytime you see a cake in wrestling, you know it's going in somebody's face. You're absolutely right. I've never thought of that. I, I would be interested to know if there's ever been another cake, wrestling cake, that someone ate. Because... They always end up on faces and floors otherwise. Uh, Robert, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, If you want to let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can get the Atomic Elbow, and uh, whatever else you want them to know, this is your chance. It is Atomic underscore Elbow on Twitter. Um, It's The Atomic Elbow, all one word, no spaces, dot big cartel.com i am not the youtube sketch comedy group i am not the massage parlor in kansas um so if you see those you're in the wrong place the massage parlor in kansas will redirect you to me eventually they're very nice i send them a copy of each issue um and i will be at heroes con in charlotte this summer um, stop by and say hello if you're in the area. And uh, issue 39 should be out. I'm fingers crossed in August. Uh, I'm working on another non wrestling project that um, may be of limited interest, but uh, I'm going to try to get that out before the next issue. And I'm going to try to have 40 issues by the end of this year. Our guest has been Robert Newsom. Go read The Atomic Elbow. Uh, it is. It is. One of the few print periodicals that I still get every issue of. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. Thank you both. It was wonderful. Thanks once again to Robert Newsom for joining us. Uh, Go get the Atomic Elbow. It's a good time. Matt, what's your favorite kind of gimmick match? You know, I was thinking about this. I, I have a weird soft spot in my heart for gimmick matches that only ever happened once and were absolute disasters. Like the, what is it? The kennel, the kennel, oh, the from, kennel hell. from hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't like the kennel from hell, but it's so memorably terrible that uh, the, I kind of, the kennel from hell is great because it is the purest example of, someone having to tell pro wrestling, no, you can't do that. You cannot actually put vicious dogs in between. Like, yeah, they're going to have handlers. They're going to be like actor dogs. Yeah. And they can't actually, like, nobody can fall on them or anything because you can't hurt the animals. And they also can't maul Ray Trailer. Yes. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my actual favorite gimmick match. The Chamber of Horrors match.
Chamber of Horrors match should always be happening. Like, that should be an annual tradition. Yes, I love the Chamber of Horrors match. If you don't know what that is, folks, go look it up. You're going to see, like, a bunch of wrestle crap stuff about it. Forget that. It's great. Yeah, don't don't believe their lies. Yeah. What's your favorite gimmick match, Chris? Uh, Falls Count Anywhere on the Gulf Coast. <laughs> like, outdoors. Only on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to do it, everybody. That's going to wrap up this episode of War Rocket Ajax. Uh, thank you for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at warrocketpod. And we have a Discord that is a great community of War Rocket Ajax fans. Uh, you have to be invited to be a member of the Discord, but as long as you're not a meanie, we'll give you an invitation. Uh, let us know in one of the places I just mentioned. Get in touch with us, and we'll get you a Discord invite. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. Warrocketwiki.com is the fan-run repository of all the information you could ever need about this podcast, War Rocket Ajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social media accounts. Chris, where can people find you? You know what? Find me here. Find me here on the War Rocket Ajax podcast. Because that's where I am, reliably, each and every week. As am I. And if, if you can find me anywhere else, that, you'll hear about it here. See you next week, everybody. Yeah, see you next week. We'll be back with a great show for you next Monday in the future in a world where Tears of the Kingdom exists. Uh, but until then, don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. As are abortion rights. And drag is not a crime. And cops aren't your friends. But we love you. We love you. Yes!